You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. The Naked Scientist. It's about that time on the Monday edition of the show that we chat to Dr. Chris Smith. Doctor, how are you doing? Did you have a great weekend? Yeah, not bad. How about you? It was also not bad. Half a bit of working, a bit of chilling, but a nice balance of all things. And we've got so many calls, so let's jump straight to them. Cynthia in Sandringham, go ahead. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I just want, I'm curious about the saying that people seem to experience collectively, the saying you could have cut the air with a knife. Now, um, I think as far as I know, lots of people experience this, and they all do this together. Is there some kind of electrical charge floating around that we all become aware of? What are your comments? What actually do you think is, is a play? And I'm not religious, but I'm just wondering, you know, what physical thing is happening? Mm, that's that's very interesting. So is the actual tension in the air, Doctor? Hi, Cynthia. Well, the, the answer to this one is that we are very tuned in to very subtle signals that come from the environment. And in the same way that some people say this place feels spooky and they can't put their finger on what it is that makes the place feel spooky or gives a particular vibe to an environment. Actually, people have been looking at those sorts of environments scientifically, and a number of possible explanations have emerged. And with respect to sort of spooky places or places that make you feel uneasy, one explanation is sound, because researchers went to a whole bunch of venues that people had said had a funny feeling about them, and they made recordings. And the recordings were with microphones that were capable of picking up things beyond the frequencies that we can hear with our ears. And it turned out there was a really strong correlation between places that people said had a funny feeling about them and the presence of very low frequency sound waves called infrasound, frequencies lower than we can hear. We can hear sounds that go from about 20, 30, 40 hertz upwards. Sound that's lower than that, we can't hear because our ears can't actually respond and and signal to the brain that those sounds are present but they are of course so if we can't hear them how would they make us feel uneasy the answer is that vibrations made by those sound waves are picked up by other parts of our bodies including in your abdomen you've got in your guts a lot of vibration sensors that will respond to those sorts of sound frequencies and it gives people that so-called gut feeling that things are not quite right. So I suspect that in the same way that you can get that sort of phenomenon, there will be other cues in the environment. It might be particular smells. It it could be under certain circumstances an electrically charged atmosphere where things have been running, gases have gone into the atmosphere like ozone, for example, that produce particular smells and experiences. And we can't put our finger on what they are, but they are nevertheless detectable and they do tend to galvanize us collectively because everyone responds to them in the same way but mm. a great question cynthia thank you so much sherry in morningside manor hi go ahead hello yes go ahead sherry hello. okay um good afternoon dr chris um i sent a picture on whatsapp of t- uh, two intriguing blooms with completely different um speckle patterns on their petals of a petunia that just popped up by itself. They're not supposed to do that if they, if the original petunia was a sort of highly pedigreed, um, you are not allowed to propagate this um, uh, petunia fancy one that I had bought. Um, but 
it's had an offspring, <laughs> and the offspring has a kind of combination petal pattern from two different fancy petunias, um, highly legitimate, highly pedigreed fancy petunias, one of which um, continued to do well and the other of which died off. Um, and um, I'm most intrigued. I've looked right down into the heart of the plant. There are not two um, different plants side by side. There's a single plant with a single stem and then branching off from that, you get um, a plant that has the speckle pattern and you get a plant that uh, you get a flower that has the the splash pattern all growing off the same plant (laughs) yep and you'll see this quite often often with variegated plants you may be familiar with so some of these euonymus species where they've got say a yellow leaf which has got a, a yellow interior and a green edge or vice versa and then you'll suddenly see a branch on the same plant that's completely green all the leaves are completely green they've lost that yellow and green patterning and what has happened is that in forcing the plant to go down a particular genetic route to have a particular patterning or color scheme occasionally the genetic change that is endowing that on the plant reverts back to the ancestral form that doesn't have that exciting coloration and the group of stem cells that produce that bit of the plant don't any longer carry that genetic change So any tissues that they give rise to don't have it, and that means all of that bit of the plant actually doesn't have that characteristic. So I suspect that what's happened with your petunia that you've grown is that the original rootstock or the seed had that genetic change. As the plant grew, it then had a bit of the plant where some patch of stem cells lost that change because this happens genetics make mistakes you know when dna gets copied occasionally it does change and and adapt and so a whole bunch of cells ended up without the mutation in them that causes that interesting patterning and that means that all of the things and all of the parts of the plant that those stem cells then give rise to those branches and shoots and petals and so on they won't have the change and so they won't have the characteristic and that's quite common in plants to see these bits of the plant that have reverted to the original type from which the plant came. All right. Thank you so, so much for that question uh, from Sherry Zama, Indonesia South. Go ahead. Hello. Yes, go ahead, Zama. Thank you you for taking my call. I would like to know from the doctor on why does my body take long to respond to an anesthetic? Because really it would be like 15 or 20 minutes later before it would respond. Lately, I have been to a dentist. It also took long to an extent that I said to him, you know what, just do what you have to do. I will just be strong because it looks like <laughs> you are not going to finish. Just, just so I can clarify, Zama, are you talking about the, the anesthetic where it's topical, they rub something to numb the area, or they actually give an injection? Both. Both. On both cases. Mm. Yes, on both cases. Okay. Both okay. the injection and both the rubbing. Okay, yeah. doctor? Well, I think the, the answer to this one is that we all look different on the outside because genetically on the inside we're all different as well and that means our biochemistry is all unique 
we all work broadly the same way, but there are differences from one person to the next, and those differences will affect every part of the body. And the mm. drugs that we make are designed in a one-size-fits-all way. It's a bit like you going into a shoe shop and saying, I need a pair of shoes. Normally, you expect people to measure your feet, but they don't, chemically speaking. When you go to the pharmacy, you get given drugs that are made for the average person. It's a bit like you going in that shoe shop and they just take the first pair of shoes off the shelf and say, wear these. Some people will be fine and their feet will fit fine into those shoes and they'll be comfortable. But for some people, it just won't work. The feet won't fit in the shoes. And it's the same with some drugs. Some people are much better at metabolizing or breaking down drugs. Some people have a slightly different target. The shape of the thing the drug is binding to in the body to produce its effect is different in some people by a subtle amount. And that can have an effect on how effective the drugs are. With drugs that affect the nervous system, the underlying mood uh, of the person also makes a difference. If a person is highly stressed, then it may take a bigger dose of painkillers to work on that person than someone who's much more calm and relaxed. So all these factors come into play, and I suspect that uh, one or all of them will apply here, which is why your dentist had to um, give you a superdose in order to, to make you have a numb mouth. Does that answer you, Zama? Uh, no, thank you very much, Dr. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you, Zama. Uh, Thomas in Tembisa, hi. Hi, hello, ma'am. I just want to ask the, the scientists there as to how do the big ships navigate uh, in, in the ocean, or how do they know that they are heading to the right direction, more especially when it's during the night? How do they know that they are going to the right direction? That's what I want to ask. That's what. Mm, doctor, did you get that? Uh, about ship navigation, yeah. I mean, historically, yes. this was a major problem. And when the first seafarers ventured out across oceans, they really were taking their lives in their hands because they didn't actually know where they were going. And largely, they went where the wind blew them. And luckily, the winds, in many cases, just went in one direction and took them from one place to another, and then they could work out where they'd arrived. But this all changed when people began to realize that the Earth has a magnetic field and that you can use a magnet to detect that magnetic field, and that's how a compass works. So you have some chance of, of always moving in the same direction because you can use that. Also, people worked out how you can use the stars. If you measure the angle the stars are at with respect to the Earth, then you can work out where you are north to south on the Earth's surface because of the direction the stars are relative to you at whatever time of day. And then people worked out a stage further that if you had a good clock, you could actually work out how far round the world you were because you could also work out not just latitude, how far up and down you are, but how far round the Earth's surface you are. But that's all very well. If you are in a strong current and you get washed a long way, you, you still don't know until you can see those stars where you've got to or until it's, you know, if it's foggy, you don't know where you've gone. That's all changed in the modern era, of course, with GPS. And so now almost all navigation is conducted using GPS as the gold standard. And GPS is Global Positioning Satellites. This is a constellation of satellites that are in orbit around the Earth. And your GPS receiver is receiving signals from multiple satellites. And each of those signals has been encoded with the time it left the satellite. And the device therefore works out based on the time of travel between the satellite and you and those, those signals arriving at your device where you are on the Earth's surface to a very, very high degree of accuracy 
And that's how actually these boats know where they are. So they're continuously updating and plotting their position and not just relative to the earth, also relative to other boats and, and other things that might be a hazard. All right, uh, we are going to continue with uh, some of your calls, your SMSs, your tweets and WhatsApps for the Naked Scientist on 011-883-0702, WhatsApp line 072-702-1702. The Naked Scientist. It's nine minutes to three o'clock and we're wrapping up the conversation. We've got some WhatsApps, Doctor, that have come through. Here's the first one. Hi, Rilewohile. Please ask the naked scientist, why do dogs bark at uh, diesel cars? Why do dogs bark at diesel engines? Shall we hear from the <laughs> East Wind? I don't know. My dog, <laughs> my dog used to jump into the hedge whenever a big truck came along. I think because he was so used to only seeing small vehicles, because we live in a sort of fairly remote place. When, when we took him to town, when big lorries would come along, He'd be terrified and try and hide because I think they, to him, look like an enormous animal. So really, dogs dogs will, will bark as a sign of alarm. And so if they find the noise particularly alarming or uh, it signals something that's going to happen in their mind, then, then, they, then they will bark at it. And so eventually barking is a learned behavior. Dogs associate one thing happening with another thing happening. And so they, they may bark as a response to that. And if 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 the, the the particular sound that they're encountering has been a trigger in the past, then they they, they have a learned behaviour and they keep on doing it. Okay, and I mean the, the the sound can be quite scary, so that would have just been my assumption. I think so. Yeah, I mean dogs do this as a signature of as a sign of alarm, so I, I suspect that's why they were doing it. All right, another WhatsApp that's come a uh, voice note that's come through. Good afternoon. 702. I have a question for the naked scientist. Which bulb uses less electricity over a period of a minimum of eight hours, the LED or the long life? Thank you very much. Mm. Jackie Centurion. Thank you. Doctor? Well, before we had LED bulbs, something like 20 or 30% of the world's electricity consumption just went on lighting. And the reason that lighting was so energy hungry is because the way we were lighting buildings was with chiefly incandescent bulbs, where you're basically heating a piece of metal, tungsten often because it has such a high melting point, to a couple of thousand degrees, and it glows with white heat and gives out light. But 80% of the light or more that it's giving out, you can't see because it's infrared or heat. So they're terribly wasteful to run these bulbs. And this ushered in the era of energy-saving light bulbs, which were of the incandescent variety, of the non-incandescent variety. And the way they work, it's a bit like the strip lights you see in the ceilings of some buildings. You basically have a gas at low pressure and some mercury atoms inside them. You put a, a, electricity through a high, uh, um, a high voltage and... This excites the atoms, causing them to uh, become ionized. And when they then collide with each other and swap electrons around, they give out photons of light, which excite a coating on the inside of the glass. And that coating glows, that's called a phosphor, and produces light. And they were significantly more efficient. But then the really big step change was LED technology. 
because LEDs are much more efficient than all of the above put together. Very, very good. And they are much better at converting the electricity you put into them into photons of light, actually visible light that comes out with minimum heat production. So LEDs are many-fold more efficient to run than either incandescent bulbs or uh, so-called energy-saving fluorescent tubes. So if I had a choice and I had to buy light bulbs for my house, would I buy tubes or would I buy LEDs? I would buy LED lamps every time. All right, uh, Lawrence in Rhinefontaine, go ahead. Hello? Yes, Lawrence, go ahead. Uh, thanks for picking my call. Uh, doctor, I just have one question uh, or two. I'm allergic to... In fact, I went for a test for allergies. They told me the first time I'm allergic to some that I breathe. I breathe actually, should I say. And the other one was talking about uh, I'm allergic to latex, which is elastic, elastic something like that. Yes. My question is now, what causes a person to have itchy uh, situation whenever there's a cold breeze on his, bro- on his body or on, on any part which is not covered by uh, the clothes he's wearing? So is this question still related to the allergy or just in general, the itchiness? No, it's, it's, it's the itchiness which was happening, the eczema. So when I went for, for the test, the test which was done, it was allergy test. What causes this itchiness of yes. this eczema? So the first test came as I'm allergic to something that I break. The second test came and said I'm allergic to elasticity like... Uh, uh, Elastic, elastic, yes. Like, like, yeah. Like the ties that you wear, they said you are allergic with that, like condoms and other stuff. They said I'm allergic to that. Yes. So my question is, what causes it to have an itchy effect? Okay. When a okay. Cold breeze comes on your body. Okay, doctor, did you get that? Right. The reason we feel itchy when something contacts skin is because there is actually in the skin a specific population of very tiny nerve fibers that's sole job is to trigger itch sensation. And they run through the skin and go to the spinal cord where they use a very specific nerve transmitter chemical, which when they become active, they release that chemical into that part of the spinal cord which marries that signal up with where on the body those nerves have come from and tells your brain this bit of the body is itchy. Those nerves get activated by a range of different things and a common one is the chemical histamine. Histamine is produced by cells that live in the skin called mast cells. They're very big cells and they contain enormous amounts of histamine and they are there almost like the policemen of the skin. Their job is to detect things that might be trying to burrow through your skin like parasites. And they're almost like an early warning alarm system. So when they fire off or discharge their histamine, it's because something has has excited that cell and the histamine is there to warn you. And this this bit of the skin is irritating. Pay attention to it. Something's trying to get in like a mosquito or a worm or something. But in people who have allergies, uh, dermatitis, another word for acute dermatitis is eczema, This is where something innocuous, something normally harmless, is activating those mast cells when it shouldn't. And so they're detonating your emergency alarm system when they shouldn't do. And this can include a range of different things that we become sensitized to. 
and it may be grass pollen for some people. It could be latex for other people. But when you come into contact with these chemicals, the mast cells are sensitized to your particular chemical you're allergic to. They activate, squirt out the histamine, and the histamine then activates, among other things, these itch-sensitive Doctor, nerve cells. Doctor, I'm, I'm going to have to leave it there because we have completely run out of time, but I think you've covered the majority of the question that has been asked. Thank you so much, Dr. Chris Smith on The Naked Scientist.